Chapter 13 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 13. While Consuelo was achieving all these triumphs, Anzalito had lived so completely in her as to forget himself. Nevertheless, when the Count, in dismissing him, mentioned the engagement of his betrothed without saying a word of his own, he called to mind the coolness with which he had been treated during the evening, and the dread of being ruined without remedy poisoned all his joy. The idea darted across his mind to leave Consuelo on the steps, leaning on Porpora's arm, and to return to cast himself at the feet of his benefactor. But as at this moment he hated him, we must say in his praise that he withstood the temptation to humiliate himself. When he had taken leave of Porpora and prepared to accompany Consuelo along the canal, the gondoliers of the Count informed him that by the commands of their master, the gondola waited to conduct the signora home. A cold perspiration burst upon his forehead. The signora, said he rudely, is accustomed to use her own limbs. She is much obliged to the Count for his attentions. By what right do you refuse for her, said the Count, who was close behind him. Anzalito turned and saw him, not with uncovered head as a man who dismissed his guests, but with his cloak thrown over his shoulders, his hat in one hand, and his sword in the other, as one who seeks adventures. Anzalito was so enraged that a thought of stabbing him with the long narrow knife, which a Venetian always carried about, concealed on his person, flashed across his mind. I hope, madame, said the Count in a firm voice, that you will not offer me the affront of refusing my gondola to take you home and cause me the vexation of not permitting me to assist you to enter it. Consuelo, always confiding and suspecting nothing of what passed around her, accepted the offer, thanked him, and placing her pretty rounded elbow in the hand of the Count, she sprang without ceremony into the gondola. Then a dumb but energetic dialogue took place between the Count and Anzalito. The Count, with one foot on the bank and one on the bark, measured Anzalito with his eye, who, standing on the last step of the stairs leading from the water's edge to the palace, measured him with a fierce air in return, his hand in his breast, and grasping the handle of his knife. A single step and the Count was lost. What was most characteristic of the Venetian disposition in this rapid and silent scene was that the two rivals watched each other without either hastening the catastrophe. The Count was determined to torture his rival by apparent irresolution, and he did so at leisure, although he saw and comprehended the gesture of Anzalito. On his side, Anzalito had strength to wait without betraying himself, until it would please the Count to finish his malicious pleasantry or give up his life. This pantomime lasted two minutes, which seemed to Anzalito an age, and which the Count supported with stoical disdain. The Count then made a profound bow to Consuelo, and turning toward his protégé, I permit you also, said he, to enter my gondola. In future you will know how a gallant man conducts himself and he stepped back to allow Anzalito to pass into the boat. Then he gave orders to the gondolier to row to the Corte Minelli, while he remained standing on the bank, motionless as a statue. 
It also seemed as if he awaited some new attempt at murder on the part of his humiliated rival. How does the Count know your abode? was the first word which Angelito addressed to his betrothed when they were out of sight of the palace of Zastiniani. Because I told him, replied Consuelo. And why did you tell him? Because he asked me. You do not guess then why he wished to know? Probably to convey me home. Do you think so? Do you think he will not come to see you? Come to see me? What madness! And in such a wretched abode! That would be an excess of politeness which I should never wish. You do well not to wish it, Consuelo, for excess of shame might ensue from this excess of honor. Shame? And why shame to me? In good faith I do not understand you tonight, dear Anzalito, and I think it rather odd that you should speak of things I do not comprehend, instead of expressing your joy at our incredible and unexpected success. Unexpected indeed, returned Anzalito bitterly. It seemed to me that at Vespers, and while they applauded me this evening, you were even more intoxicated than I was. You looked at me with such passionate eyes that my happiness was doubled in seeing it reflected from you. But now you are gloomy and out of sorts, just as when we wanted bread and our prospects were uncertain. And now you wish that I should rejoice in the future? Possibly it is no longer uncertain, but assuredly it presents nothing cheering for me. What more would we have? It is hardly a week since you appeared before the Count and were received with enthusiasm. My success was infinitely eclipsed by yours. You know it well. I hope not. Besides, if it were so, there can be no jealousy between us. These ingenuous words, uttered with the utmost truth and tenderness, calmed the heart of Angelito. Ah, you are right, said he, clasping his betrothed in his arms. We cannot be jealous of each other. We cannot deceive each other. But as he uttered these words, he recalled with remorse his adventure with Carilla, and it occurred to him that the Count, in order to punish him, might reveal his conduct to Consuelo, whenever he had reasons to suppose that she in the least encouraged him. He fell into a gloomy reverie, and Consuelo also became pensive. Why, said she, after a moment's silence, did you say that we could not deceive each other? It is a great truth, surely, but why did you just then think of it? Hush, let us not say another word in this gondola, said Anzalito. They will hear what we say and tell it to the Count. This velvet covering is very thin, and these palace gondolas have recesses four times as deep, and as large as those for hire. Permit me to accompany you home, said he, when they had been put ashore at the entrance of the Corte Minelli. You know that it is contrary to our agreement and custom, replied she. Oh, do not refuse me, said Anzalito, else you will plunge me into fury and despair. Frightened by his tone and his words, Consuelo dared no longer refuse, and when she had lighted her lamp and drawn the curtains, seeing him gloomy and lost in thought, she threw her arms around him. How unhappy and disquieted you seem this evening, said she. What is the matter with you? Do you not know, Consuelo? Do you not guess? No, on my soul. Swear that you do not guess it. Swear it by the soul of your mother, by your hopes of heaven. Oh, I swear it. And by our love? By our love. I believe you, Consuelo, for it would be the first time you ever uttered an untruth. 
And now will you explain yourself? I shall explain nothing. Perhaps I may have to explain myself soon. And when that moment comes, and when you have too well comprehended me, woe to us both, the day on which you know what I now suffer. O oh, heaven, what new misfortune threatens us? What curse assails us as we re-enter this poor chamber, where hitherto we had no secrets from each other? Something too surely told me when I left it this morning that I should return with death in my soul. What have I done that I should not enjoy a day that promised so well? Have I not prayed God sincerely and ardently? Have I not thrust aside each proud thought? Have I not suffered from Clorinda's humiliation? Have I not obtained from the Count a promise that he should engage her as Seconda Donna with us? What have I done, must I again ask, to incur the sufferings of which you speak, which I already feel since you feel them? And did you indeed procure an engagement for Clorinda? I am resolved upon it, and the Count is a man of his word. This poor girl has always dreamed of the theater, and has no other means of subsistence. And do you think that the Count will part with Rosalba, who knows something, for Clorinda, who knows nothing? Rosalba will follow her sister Carilla's fortunes, and as to Clorinda, we shall give her lessons and teach her to turn her voice, which is not amiss, to the best account. The public, besides, will be indulgent to a pretty girl. Were she only to obtain a third place, it would be always something, a beginning, a source of subsistence. You are a saint, Consuelo. You do not see that this dolt, in accepting your intervention, although she should be happy in obtaining a third, or even a fourth place, will never pardon you for being first. What signifies her ingratitude? I know already what ingratitude and the ungrateful are. You, said Anzaleto, bursting into a laugh as he embraced her with all his old brotherly warmth, Oh, replied she, enchanted at having diverted him from his cares. I should always have before my eyes the image of my noble master, Porpora. Many bitter words he uttered which he thought me incapable of comprehending, but they sank deep into my heart and shall never leave it. He is a man who has suffered greatly and is devoured by sorrow. From his grief and his deep indignation, as well as what has escaped from him before me, I have learned that artists, my dear Anzaleto, are more wicked and dangerous than I could suppose, that the public is fickle, forgetful, cruel, and unjust, that a great career is but a heavy cross, and that glory is a crown of thorns. Yes, I know all that, and I have thought and reflected upon it so often that I think I should neither be astonished nor cast down were I to experience it myself. Therefore, it is that you have not been able to intoxicate me by the triumph of today. Therefore, it is, your dark thoughts have not discouraged me. I do not yet comprehend them very well, but I know that with you, and provided you love me, I shall strive not to hate and despise mankind like my poor unhappy master, that noble yet simple old man. End of chapter 13, read by Bryce Cries, Youngstown, USA. October 11, 2021.